News, notes, and Zola, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, May the 22nd. It's show number 28 of the 2015 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great show for you. We'll talk with Todd Zola, our regular Friday Talk with Todd commentator, about pitcher momentum and hot streaks, fly ball distance and home run outliers, David Letterman, and more. We'll also have our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols, looking at Chase Utley, Jung Ho Kang, and others. And from the American League, Jock Thompson will be looking at injuries for Jacoby Ellsbury and Coco Crisp. He'll look at the Texas closer situation and more. In our regular matchups analysis, Greg Fishwick looks at some beauties, Matt Harvey in Philadelphia to visit Cole Hamels, Carlos Frias of the Dodgers at James Shields in San Diego, and more. And in Master Notes, I'll be talking about Get Me Off That Closer Go-Round. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? It's the Friday before a long weekend. We gotta talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Friday News and Notes edition, our League Watch News reports, Jock Thompson is on deck with players from the American League. And leading off, it's our National League report. And it's our friend Harold Nichols from Joplin, Missouri. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. You're on the road. Yeah, on the road in the Heartline in Joplin, Missouri tonight, but we're, we're rolling. You going to have a chance to visit any minor league parks along the way? It does, doesn't look like it at this point. I hope to make it to the Field of Dreams in Dyersville, Iowa. Oh, right. Not, yeah. I've been there before, so looking forward to that. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, if they build it, you will come. That's right. If they build it, I will come. Just took a while. Uh, at BaseballHQ.com, Nick, Ray Murphy's speculator column is looking at players to sell low. And I guess that means to cut bait on an underperformer that Ray thinks is going to keep underperforming. And if you're lucky, I guess, you might be able to find a trading partner who thinks he's buying low and getting a bargain on a player who's headed uh, in the right direction. One of the players in Ray's analysis is St. Louis outfielder Jason Hayward. And Nick, it seems like we've been waiting for Jason Hayward since he came up to the big leagues. Yeah, you know, we have. the guy, All the talent in the world, you, you, th- you think he's going to break out any minute. He's still young enough to do that. He's only 25 years old. He had one, one really big season. But the, the biggest problem that, we've, that Jason Hayward has, the thing he's got to turn around before he's going to show that breakout, is, is his, uh, he hits too many ground balls. Uh, and at this point, a 59% ground ball rate, that's worse than usual so far this particular season. As long as that happens, uh, his power is not going to show up. And at this point, a 64 XPX for the year, it just doesn't look like this is the year he's going to break out. And, of course, if he doesn't get on base, he's not going to be able to run. So you've got a power-speed kind of guy that's not getting on base and that's not hitting for much power. So, you know, you don't want to call Jason Hayward a lost cause at this point, and I wouldn't be all surprised at some point if he suddenly breaks out and has an MVP year, but this doesn't look like it's going to be it. Yeah, that ground ball tilt, he actually seemed to be getting it going in the right direction in 2012. Of course, he had that big 27 home run year, and uh, that was the year that his ground ball percentage fell from 54 in 2011 to 44 in 2012, which is still fairly high, but he started hitting fly balls at an increased rate and, and enjoyed some home run result in the bargain. 
and then all of a sudden this year, that ground ball rate, as you said, way up almost 60%. That's that's very odd. It really is. And, and, and certainly, if you're hitting that many ground balls, the balls are not going to leave the park. I mean, there's just not that much opportunity. So he certainly needs to turn that around. It, it's possible, I guess, that the uh, that the warm weather would eventually help that. But certainly the kind of guy you might be able to find a trading partner for at this point in the season. Uh, and it's everything says that this is not going to be the breakout year. I also noticed that uh, so far this year, at least, his walk rate is well off uh, his career norms. He's usually around 11% or so this year, 7 And as well, he's striking out more. 78% contact rate is returning to the relatively bad old days earlier in his career. He had that up the last couple of years, over 80%, but nothing seems to be working. No, it just doesn't. Uh, but, you know, you hope that the change of teams might help him. Uh, and I, I think St. Louis certainly had, had uh, good plans for him, but so far... The, uh, the batting coaches there have not been able to do much better than they were able to do in Atlanta with him at this point. Hard contact index is right around league average, but it always has been. It's going to be interesting if you're a Jason Hayward owner. I'd be very curious about how people are going to handle this for the balance of the season. We're projecting $20 worth, Nick, which is not bad from Jason Hayward, the balance of the year. We're looking for 12 more home runs, around 50 RBIs, a little bit more than that in runs scored. 10 bags and a 276 batting average, but he has a, a long way to go to get there. Another sell low from Ray's column, the veteran Philadelphia second baseman Chase Utley, who's putting together decent power numbers, but he's only hitting like a buck 69. Yeah, you know, here's the guy kind of at the opposite end of the scale from Jason Hayward. Hayward's a young guy that you expect to, you might, you might expect to break out. Chase Utley's down in the, uh, certainly down on the downside of his career, and he's bounced back before after his injuries, but at this point, uh, you've got to wonder if it's going to happen this year. Uh, batting average is finally back to close to 150, and a 15% hit rate says that uh, it's going to get better. But uh, the problem is he's not hitting the ball very hard. His, um, right now, our 18% hard hit uh, contact rate uh, average is, for the past three years is 33%, so that's way down. And, uh, you know, it's it just, uh, just not making very hard contact. Last year's a decline in the second half, so we begin to see some hints of that falling into the kind of level where it is now. And so with his advancing age and a current uh, expected batting average of 248, uh, I, I would not bet on Chase Utley uh, rejoining the ranks of elite players anytime soon. Yeah, ordinarily, Nick, we look at that 18% hit rate this year, and Utley's a guy who's right around league average, 30%, 29 in that vicinity, he fell as low as 27, but he's been as high as 37, and then you look at this 18%, and uh, for a hit rate, you think, boy, that's a real outlier, and it's bound to, to recover. But then you look uh, right next door in the BaseballHQ.com stat columns, 72 hard contact index means he's 28% under league average for hitting the ball hard. And if you're not hitting the ball hard, then that hit rate is not going to climb. That's right. And then, of course, with Utley, uh, with, a, with a second half decline last season and uh, advancing age, you begin to wonder if, uh, if there's uh, more, more here than meets the eye. Or less here than meets the eye. <laughs> yeah, less here than meets the eye might be a better way to say it. We're projecting uh, Chase Utley for nine more home runs this year, around 50 each of runs and RBIs, five or six bags, and about a $15 value. Between that projection, which I imagine is shared in a lot of areas at, uh, across the web, as well as Chase Utley's reputation, maybe this is the time you can uh, swap Chase Utley to somebody who's going to uh, think that Chase Utley has more to offer than he really does. Perhaps so. This might be certainly a good time to move him if you can find someone who's uh, 
who thinks he's going to bounce back. Nick, the Pirates seem to be giving import shortstop Jung Ho Kang more playing time at the expense of incumbent shortstop Jordy Mercer, who just wasn't hitting. Uh, Mike Shears covered the situation in playing time today, and Matt Cedarholm also covered the story in his Market Pulse column under the headline, A Kang-Do Attitude. Before we get to the analysis, Nick, is that as awful a pun as I think it is? Yeah, it's just a bad, it's a bad pun, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is indeed. Uh, Doug O'Kong uh, started the year, he was, was very high on a lot of lists to begin the year, and then started out very, very slowly. And uh, as a result, was uh, we weren't sure exactly what to do with him. And it's difficult to know with a transition with someone making, uh, making the, the uh, move to the majors from, uh, uh, from Korea, in this case, what, what's really going to happen. But uh, he suddenly began the last, over the last 30 days, a small at-bat sample, but hitting 333. Hit rate has been high, but his uh, 283 uh, XBA is really very good. So it, it looks as though he's beginning to adjust a bit to, to the major leagues, and uh, that's a good thing. He, he certainly has some good pedigree in terms of what he's done before getting here. A 120 P, uh, XPX expected power index over the last 30 days, 75% contact rate. So even though we're expecting him to play part-time and to, to share some time with Jordy Mercer, um, he looks like he could uh, really begin to produce some, some numbers in Pittsburgh. And Jordy Mercer is, is just awful right now, 226 expected batting average, so that uh, the Kong could become the full-time shortstop. When I look at, at this uh, 828 OPS for Jung Ho Kang, it's uh, so far ahead of Mercer, the uh, inevitable outcome seems to be that uh, Kang's going to get the lion's share. Yeah, but it would begin to look that way. And certainly if he's available on, uh, on waiver wires, which he may still be because of that slow start, uh, he's a guy to, to I think, to, uh, to grab. Uh, uh, Matt Cedarone called him a buy, a buy slash watch. I would say he's a buy at this point uh, in the season. So you're Gung Ho for Jung Ho? I am. <laughs> and that may be as bad a part as we started with, you know. His projection has improved at BaseballHQ.com with the prospect of more playing time. We're now looking at 11 or $12 in value with some upside, six home runs, mid-30s in the runs and RBIs, and five bags. And, of course, those runs and RBIs will go up if he gets more playing time and doesn't share as much. And a batting average around 270 is the projection, which is not bad either. Uh, finally, Nick, the closer situation in Arizona. We talked about this last week, and in the interview, intervening seven days it's gone from muddled to extremely muddled shall we say Addison Reed pushed down the depth chart and out of the closer role Brad Ziegler seems to be the uh, replacement but in an excellent bullpens column this week Doug Dennis of BaseballHQ.com says about Ziegler buyer beware and that there are better alternatives what's the analysis yeah you know it's uh, right now the, the bullpen situation in Arizona is a mess and for fantasy owners a, a, a frustrating mess um, the, and Enrique Burgos got actually a couple of saves this past week, and a 14.9 DOM, uh, that's, uh, that's really good, but at the same time not having a lot of clean appearances, only three out of eight clean appearances and only nine and two-thirds innings of work, so kind of inconsistent there. So I think right now we're just going to have to kind of look and see what happens. I mean, uh, Ziegler got a, save, got a save the other night. Ziegler has more clean appearances. Uh, at the same time, uh, Ziegler's XCRA is 3.22, uh, low DOM, uh, and, and not a, a command ratio of 1.6, which certainly is not something you're, you want to see at all in a closer. So um, I would say right now the situation is confused, and I would not at all uh, discount the possibility of Addison Reed coming back and, and eventually claiming that job. I think if I were an Addison Reed owner, I would not dump him at this point. 
And if I were a, not an Addison Reed owner, I might try to get in on the uh, buy low bandwagon because he still does look like the best option considering his history. Maybe a, a disgruntled owner or a frustrated owner might uh, give him up for a song. Yeah, very definitely. And so uh, certainly someone I think to uh, to perhaps pick up at this point. He certainly has the, the best experience in that in that bullpen, and overall perhaps a better skill set than uh, than either Ziegler or Burgos. Uh, Randall Gatto may be someone to keep an eye on, but uh, he keeps uh, kind of uh, bouncing it out and disappointing us sometimes, and so I'm I'm not uh, all in on Randall Delgado at all. I like his skills as you do, but the every time he gets on the field, his skills seem to be not delivering results. There's a point at which the guy is going to break out, but I wouldn't count on it happening in the bullpen this this particular season. And in fact, I think they view him as a starter in the long run. Anyway, uh, if you have a deep reserve, or if you're playing in a league where you can stash him away for next year or the year after, Randall Delgado maybe, but for the time being, uh, I'm with you, and I'm with Doug Dennis. I like Addison Reed in the long term. Harold, um, Nick, thanks very much for doing this. Thank you, Patrick. Harold Nichols is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com and, of course, our man on the National League beat here at the Baseball HQ Radio Podcast. Now let's turn to the American League and BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, hello. Great to have you back. Hey, PD. I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Doing fine, thanks. Better than Jacoby Ellsbury, at any rate. Ellsbury's back on the DL. This used to be more of a problem the last few years. He's been actually pretty reliable, but he's got a sprained knee, which he uh, got at the plate playing on Tuesday. Uh, Matt Dodge covered this in playing time today at BaseballHQ.com. How are the New York Yankees going to fill the gaping hole left by Jacoby Ellsbury? Well, it looks like Chris Young's going to get the first shot. He had a really good start, as most people know, in, in 59 at bats in April. But he's flagging in May, and he could be overexposed with, with everyday play. Uh, he's always had decent power, but the, that batting average and those plate skills have always been the issues with him, and they've made him a part-timer over the last three seasons. Meanwhile, I, I think it was Slade Heathcott who got called up to take Ellsbury's roster spot. He, he was going to be making his uh, Major League debut. He got mentioned in BaseballHQ.com in the call-ups report, which comes out every day. What do we think of Slade Heathcott as a potential uh, fantasy baseball get? Heathcott's 24 years old right now, and there was a time where the Yankees thought he had enough athleticism that he would develop, but uh, injuries have kind of dampened that growth and outlook. Uh, he's, he's Like I said, he's 24. He was off to a decent start in AAA, uh, 280, 331, 353 slash line, but as you can tell by the slugging component, he doesn't have a lot of power. He's got five steals, but he's been caught four times, so his running game is suspect. Um, he's a good defender. Uh, he's, he's the kind of guy fantasy owners shouldn't rush out and grab, wait and see if he plays and catches fire. He might see some time while Jacoby Ellsby or Ellsbury is out, but uh, not a must uh, go out and get. Going to be interesting to watch this in New York. Of course, they have resources, and maybe if uh, Ellsbury's situation looks like it could be longer than shorter, maybe they'll go out and get somebody else. Uh, over in Baltimore, Jock, Bud Norris was sent to the DL, but not an arm problem. This is an unusual one for me. Bronchitis was the uh, was the diagnosis, and it puts Bud Norris out for 15 days. Uh, Mike Wright got called up, made his MLB debut, and threw a nice a nice outing, PQS5. Uh, Matt Dodge covered this in playing time today as well. What do we think about Mike Wright for the near and long term? 
Well, right start came against the Angels, so I saw maybe four or five innings, and, and I really came away impressed. Uh, he, he throws in the, in the uh, mid-low 90s. His pitches moved, and he misses bats. Uh, the problem he's going to have initially as an inexperienced extreme fly ball pitcher is that he pitches in Camden Yards in the, in the, uh, and the AL East. Uh, but I think he has a career ahead of him. He's a third-round pick in 2011, so he has a decent pedigree. Minor league numbers have actually improved as he's moved up the ladder. And despite the fly ball tilt, he's never coughed up a lot of home runs. So, yeah, he's worth a flyer. At least in American League-only leagues. I I play in American League-only where he's interesting. I also play mixed, and I don't think I'd be gambling too heavily on Mike Wright. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, uh, that league and that park that he pays in, uh, again, uh, he's the type of guy you pick up if you really, really need pitching. But uh, particularly in the short term, there's no sure bets as far as that goes. In Detroit, Victor Martinez, speaking of guys who've been avoiding the DL fairly successfully the last little while, went back to the DL. So uh, who gets his playing time, according to Tom Kephart, in playing time today at BaseballHQ.com? Well, Tyler Collins, uh, who, who replaces uh, Martinez on the roster, he got the first two starts at, uh, at DH with Martinez out. And he's an athletic guy, a decent defender. Pitch recognition uh, has always made his ceiling pretty low. And he really hasn't produced much in the minors this year. He doesn't have any home runs, uh, 248 batting average. And he hasn't done much in uh, major league stints. Um, they're going to play him a little bit. Uh, they're, but they're going to round robin the designated hitter spot among several, several players to get some of their regulars some rest and to play the hot hands. J.D. Martinez got a start there the other night, uh, and 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 it, when that happens, both Anthony Ghost and Raj Davis are probably going to get a little more outfield time uh, above the their current platoon arrangement. Earlier this season, we talked about uh, the Tigers' Bruce Rondon uh, as a potential future closer. Uh, the report now is that his uh, recovery from Tommy John surgery is going very well. He's throwing without pain. He's in AAA doing a rehab, and he's probably going to be activated as soon as he can pitch two days in a row. Uh, Bob Berger looked at this in playing time today at BaseballHQ.com. Certainly Detroit could use some help in their bullpen. How does Rondon look? Well, as, as health, as the one caveat I have with Rondon, he is one of my favorite bullpen names, both in the near term and in the long term. He's a guy who's likely going to get some high leverage uh, opportunities and, and maybe even some save opportunities down the road, depending on Joaquim Soria, um, be that this year or, or next year. He has terrific stuff. He's hitting 99, 100 miles an hour again reportedly uh, at the time of his uh, Tommy John surgery he was he was really looking good with the Tigers uh, his his ground ball rate is around 50 percent um, high velocity high swing and miss guy decent enough control um, he, he's definitely a guy to watch out for in terms of closer possibilities yeah uh, Joaquin Soria has been really good for Detroit and uh, obviously He's got a contract situation pending with the Tigers. He's, uh, I think he's a free agent at the end of this season. So they have good reason to be looking at Bruce Rondon very seriously in that closer role. Yeah, Soria's been superb for Detroit since coming over from, from the Rangers. They, they don't have any complaints about him. Uh, and obviously, he could be extended by the Tigers. But don't forget, here's a guy who's undergone two Tommy John surgeries. And the Tigers may already be a little gun-shy after that Joe Nathan deal. So, you know, again, I like both Rondon's chances down the road and, and particularly for, 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 keeper, for owners in keeper and dynasty formats. 
More closer go-round in Texas. I'll be talking about this a little later on in Master Notes, Jock. Suddenly, another closer bites the dust. Naftali Feliz gets demoted. They say it's something like a closer by committee. Rod Truesdell covered it in playing time today at BaseballHQ.com. What's going on down in Texas? Well, I'm personally not sure that there's a committee right now as, as much as there are auditions going on. Feliz is out, uh, although some believe that there's a chance down the road he could retrieve his job, partly based on his history in that role. I think that's something that's very debatable, particularly when one considers his barely adequate uh, strikeouts per nine as a closer. It's been it's been in the sevens for a while now. He's got a high walk rate. Uh, his control hasn't been very good, and his and his secondary pitches have always been in question. Right now, the the Rangers have Sean Tallis and uh, he, he's gotten the first two save opportunities since the change has been announced. He's converted both of them, and his year-to-date numbers are pretty decent. They've actually soared well above uh, his historical numbers. He's striking out over over 12 hitters a game, uh, and, and, his, and his walk rate is down to two per nine innings. This is only over 20 innings this year. His history isn't that good, but he's going to keep getting the opportunities until he blows up. Yeah, sometimes that's how it goes. They keep throwing him out there until he fails, then they grab somebody else. And speaking of grabbing somebody else, uh, Texas, I remember a few years ago, I had Tanner Shepers on my reserve list in an American League-only league, expecting that he would get a shot at closing, but he never really did, uh, kind of a disappointment, and it was because he couldn't get the strikeouts. What's going on uh, with Tanner Shepers? Any chance there? Yeah, Shepherds has been a disappointment. He just got recalled. Uh, he's had injury issues for a long time, and he's got a lot to prove. His his uh, his velocity is you're seeing it start to to come back, but his strikeouts have been down for a while. His control's been off. I I, I think he's got to show the Rangers something before they entrust him uh, with high with regular high level opportunities. Right now, I actually think the guy behind uh, Tollison is uh, a hard throwing r- rookie that you you you're aware of, uh, Keone Kella. Uh, he's been used as Tallison's setup recently, and he's both he's been both very good to date while improving in May, uh, both from a dominance and a control standpoint. So this is how that situation should be played until further notice, at least in uh, in my opinion. I like Kella as a long term closer in waiting. So Tallison for now, Kella down the road. Yeah, absolutely, and and keep an eye on Shepherds because, like you've noted, he has been good in the past. He has to get healthy and and show us some things. Oakland is really getting hit, Jock, uh, with the injury bug. Uh, now we have Ike Davis going down with a strained quad muscle. Uh, Truesdell recovered this in playing time today. Who steps up to get some playing time with Ike Davis uh, out of the lineup? They're going to platoon Mark Canna and Max Muncy, uh, both uh, from a fantasy standpoint just okay. Canna ha- had a great start, and he has pretty good power, but his batting average is now down to uh, uh, 205, and... and Muncie is actually hitting quite well in his first 30 at-bats. He's the left-handed component of this platoon. He draws walks and he has better overall plate skills than Canna, but his minor league history still says that he's he's at best a platoon player. If, if you're going to choose one from a fantasy standpoint, uh, I'd pick Muncie just because he's the strong side of that platoon. And as if the news weren't already bad enough, Oakland got more bad news on Tuesday in Houston. Coco Crisp dove for a ball and had to come out of the game with soreness in his neck. And apparently since then has either tweeted or told a reporter who tweeted or somehow Twitter got involved. And he said the news he heard about the neck, and this was before he even got sent for his MRI, was, and I'm quoting here, not good. Uh, Assuming this injury is a recurrence of the neck problems that cost Crisp a couple of weeks of play last year, what further developments are we going to see in the Oakland outfield? Well, it's interesting because since uh, Crisp went down, um, 
Greg Gentry and Sam Fuld have been sharing left field, and offensively, that's just not good for the A's at all. Uh, Billy Burns has been playing center field regularly, and he's been doing fairly well. You and I have covered him in the past couple of weeks. Neither of them think he's a he's a regular uh, outfielder long term. Um, there's a lot of opportunity in Oakland, so uh, fantasy owners need to pay attention to that situation. Well, you mentioned Gentry in particular. I have on a team, and uh, last time I checked, he was hitting under 080 and uh, had one stolen base, I think, for the year, which is he's just been a cat, catastrophic guy for fantasy purposes. I can't imagine he's been a whole bunch better for Oakland in real baseball. Yeah, guys like Gentry and Fold really depend on on their speed to get a few stolen bases and hit rate luck to, to have any fantasy value at all. And when the hits aren't dropping for them, they're pretty much worthless. We've also discussed Oakland's pitching woes in the last little while. Uh, Jared Parker and A.J. Griffin both uh, suffering setbacks while trying to come back from Tommy John. Now it looks like Parker's finished for the year, and the A's have also added Drew Pomerantz to the ever-expanding disabled list. Who gets Pomerantz's missing innings and Parker's missing innings? Well, the A's are, call, are recalling Kendall uh, Graveman to, to take a rotation spot. Uh, in, in the Friday... Um, Pete, uh, in his Friday notes, uh, playing time today, Rod Truesdale noted that, that Graveman had a great spring, he, but he was lit up as soon as March turned to April and, and was then demoted. He's a, he's an extreme ground ball pitcher, and he just doesn't get enough strikeouts. He's another guy he's going to depend on luck, um, ballpark, and defense to stay relevant in the majors. And let's face it, the A's have been one of the worst defensive clubs in baseball in the early going, notably in the infield. I would be staying away from Kendall Graveman. Yeah, when you said uh, when March turned to April, he he started getting pounded. Uh, not so curiously, uh, also when they turned from AAA lineups hitting against you to the big leaguers, and all of a sudden uh, Kendall Graveman didn't look nearly so good. So, boy, a lot of a lot of open questions in that Oakland lineup. Uh, I don't envy them uh, one bit. And finally, Jock in Seattle, they got a new catcher. They traded for Wellington Castillo from the Chicago Cubs. Gave up uh, Yervis Medina from their bullpen last year. Do you think Wellington Castillo is going to get significant playing time in Seattle? Yeah, I think he is. And the main reason is Mike Zanino's 175 batting average and an an inconsistent Seattle offense. The Mariners love Zanino's power and pitcher handling, but they've had real problems generating any kind of consistent offense. And their previous second stringer, now demoted, uh, Jesus Sucre, was a a career 186 hitter. So he wasn't going to help them at all. Now, Castillo's no no, um, world beater at the plate, but he has decent power. And despite a low mid-70s contact rate, he's going to hit for better batting average than Zanino. And despite being a right-handed hitter like Zanino is, I think Zanino's going to get two, three starts a week to start out. He's, He's likely not fantasy relevant, except in the deepest of leagues, but he's going to cut into Zanino's home run totals and and also, uh, on a positive note, how badly Zanino might hurt your batting average. Yeah, I've heard that argument before. I'm not sure I buy it. You know, the fact that you have a, a, a player who's now going to play less and therefore won't hurt your batting average as much. Yeah, okay, but if that's if that's the case, he probably doesn't belong in your roster in the first place. I wonder about the power, though. Zunino had five home runs this year already, and uh, hitting down the order had 12 RBIs. Do you think Castillo can match that kind of power? He doesn't have Zunino's power, but, I mean, he's going to make contact, and that's what Seattle is, lo- is looking for. Um, uh, Zunino is pretty much a... a, a, a a two true outcome player if you look at his numbers and uh, he, he he just hasn't been helping the uh, the Mariners. Okay, Jock, thanks very much for helping us out. Uh, we'll talk to you again in a week's time. Sounds good, PD. 
Jock Thompson is the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com, and he covers the American League for us here at the Baseball HQ Radio Podcast. When we return, our regular weekly talk with Todd. Stay with us for Todd Zola, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Let me say something about greenies. First of all, greenies were not performance enhancers. At the best, they allowed a guy with a hangover or somebody who didn't get any sleep that night to be more alert, and he was able to play up to his normal ability. So they were performance enablers. They were not performance enhancers. They did not that did not make him a better player than he ordinarily would. That's the difference between amphetamines and these uh, uh, human growth hormones and, and steroids. I'm, 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 not, I'm not saying that's okay. I, I think there should be a ban on amphetamines too because they're not healthy. But they, they have to be put into a different category, uh, you know, than than the. Uh, human growth hormones. They're, they're probably something a little bit better than a cup of coffee in terms of the stimulation that you get. So I think you, you need to, the baseball needs to make a distinction there. Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. BaseballHQ.com is working 24-7 to give you everything you need to succeed. Like these features, our Bullpen Buyer's Guide column, with Doug Dennis looking at changes including Texas, the Dodgers, Arizona, Tampa, and Miami. The GM Office column looks at the tools at the BaseballHQ.com site and much more. And Facts and Flukes Performance Validation looks at sizzling Bryce Harper, fizzling Daniel Murphy, and many more players as well. BaseballHQ.com updates its content every day across a wide range of great information like our Buyer's Guide Skills Assessment columns, Performance Validation in Facts and Flukes, Roster Changes in Playing Time Today and Tomorrow, we have Daily Matchups, Team Coverage, Minor League Scouting, and so much more. And don't forget those great tools like our stat projections and other roster management systems that you can use to help you dominate your league or daily fantasy play. And it's all at the website with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's time for our regular weekly talk with Todd, and it's a pleasure to be joined once again by Todd Zola, contributor to BaseballHQ.com, Chandler Park, ESPN, Fantasy Alarm, Masters Ball, and others. Todd Zola, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Really great to be back, Patrick. We have a lot to talk about, but before we get started, I know you tweeted out that you enjoyed David Letterman's last show earlier this week. In a nutshell, what did you think? Well, I, I I enjoyed the show. I I had been a huge huge Letterman fan through my my college days through the through the end of the eighties. We'll say um, hadn't watched it a whole lot since actually ironic not so much ironically I think it's directly related since I got into fantasy baseball. But I was a huge fan in college. My my dorm room was the one that everybody congregated to watch the show. And heck, I even remember watching that short lived. Uh, morning show that he had with, and my mom used to like it. So I just remember spending some time with my mom each morning watching the, uh, the Letterman show for an hour. And that's where Rich Hall and Sniglets and, and Chris Elliott, uh, debuted. So it brought back memories from, um, about my mom as well as my college days sitting around with everybody, you know, after, after studying, <laughs> uh, you know, watching the show. And of course it was on an hour later, uh, back then. But, um, I, you know, I enjoyed it. I, I got a kick out of the, uh, People like the Steve Martin and Jerry Seinfeld, man, if they're getting old, so am I. Yeah. That, that, I think that struck me more than anything else was how people actually age. 
Moving on to baseball, uh, Todd, the the broadcast booth guys, when you watch a game, like to talk about momentum. And uh, generally speaking, when guys in the broadcast booth, even nowadays, uh, they I think they try to pay lip service to some of the more advanced metrics that are in common use, but they don't really seem to have a handle on it. And then they start talking about stuff like momentum, which seems more anecdotal. But I know from FantasyAlarm.com, you've been looking at the issue of momentum. Is there such a thing as a pitcher hot streak. Yeah, the, of, of all the different poss- you know, hitter hitter hot streak and cold streak and pitcher hot streak and cold streak, the uh the one that has shown at least via research to be real uh predictable is a pitcher, a pitcher on a roll and in in the the book playing the percentages uh we talked about it last week um suggests that after four pretty good outings in a row a pitcher has a better than 50-50 chance to have a fifth really good outing. And to be honest, I believe that that you folks at H- Baseball HQ did a study using doing using PQS scores uh and found something similar that a good pitcher that a pitcher pitching well is more likely to continue to pitch well and you know what the converse of the study was it wasn't so much a bad pitcher is likely to continue pitching bad or a pitcher pitching badly is likely to comp- continue pitching poorly, but uh, a, p- a pitcher not pitching well, he's got just as much of it. He's, he's supposed to return to his baseline. So it, it sounds weird, but a you know a hot streak is a little predictive, where a cold streak isn't predictive at all. There, you know, you should expect a pitcher to return to his normal baseline, whereas a pitcher throwing particularly well, uh, you can expect him continue to throw well. Now, you know. Looking at the underlying stats, and you know, was is he throwing well because he's been lucky on batting average and balls in play, or is his strikeout rate higher? You know, I, I think the next level people are going to want to know a little bit more. And the book didn't look into that, so I, I don't know. But on, on the other hand, I think we are at the point where, where we a, a pitcher carrying a low balls in play for three or four games in a row, sure there's some luck involved, but I think we also know now that. He can be pitching. He could be inducing weaker contact for a for a stretch of three or four games as well. So that sort of stuff isn't a hundred percent luck. There's some skill involved with inducing weak contact in a low batting average and balls in play that you know looks like it can be sustained for a three or four or five game period. That raises the question, Todd. So the, the guy has four good starts. Uh, we presume he's going to have a good fifth one. He does. We then conclude that he's going to have a good sixth one, and maybe he does or he doesn't. At, at any point, does it seem to cut off, or is there is there some logical end? He can't stay hot the whole season, or can he? I had that same question, and I, I need to go back and look again. I didn't I didn't see any information on, you know, at what point does it start trailing? It just said after you know after four and in each continuing four, there's a fifty fifty chance. I'm sorry, there's a better than fifty fifty chance the next one is good, and of course. It's going to fall off just because they they don't keep getting better and better and better. But it's just interesting that um, that it does seem to uh, a pitcher does seem to get in a groove, if you will, and and continue to throw you know throw the ball well. And I maybe it has to do with teams, and maybe when he finally runs into that buzzsaw of a team, or he finally hits Colorado or, or something to that effect. I don't know, but you know it's it, I think it's applicable. It's applicable to both, I think very applicable to our seasonal leagues when we're looking to stream pitchers. It might be a way to, you know, people are shining. Aaron Harang's going to fall off the cliff. Well, if he's dropped in your mixed league 
you know, maybe he is worth picking up because he's been on a little bit of a streak there. On the other hand, you know, a guy like Nick Martinez, he got his comeuppance the other day. And uh, so eventually they are going to get hit. But, you know, we're looking for any little edge we can get. And if you're into the, the science of it, if you're into the that sort of thing and not necessarily the Zen or the, you know, the just kind of going on your intuition, the science says, you know, three or four good outings in a row, expect a fifth. From the research, Todd, what does it say a good outing is? You know, that that's another thing. It just, it, it actually, I think it made a point. It didn't define it, at least not in my memory, but it, 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 it a very, it, it, the outing has to be very, very good, which, uh, you know, someone like, like a Clayton Kershaw or a Felix Hernandez, I mean, they're just very good to begin with. I, to me, so it's much more applicable to a lesser pitcher that, is uh not expected to con- to do as well um so that that at least that was my takeaway from it is you know you know Felix Hernandez is is going to have a good outing his fifth time just cuz he's a good pitcher um I, it just gives to me a little bit more of a boost to the the guys that you would stream or or spot start as far as uh I don't know you know, I'm not even sure what the metrics were looked at to define a good outing. It was, well, it, what it was, was, was they used the WOBA. And, and it's interesting that they were ahead of the curb using expected WOBA, uh, weighted on base average. That's only sort of recently come into, into vogue with DFS. And, you know, this book is, is fairly old and they were on the, on the forefront of using weighted on base average as a, as a leading metric way back then. And I guess what mitigates against the guy just pitching uh, four games in a row leading to a fifth and those four games leading to a sixth and on this rolling way that he can't uh, ever have a bad outing, we're not saying that the next good outing is guaranteed. We're just saying that there's a slightly better than 50% chance that he's going to have another one, which means at some point, even if the coin is weighted uh, in his favor, the coin is still going to come up tails and he's going to have a bad game. Right, but if, you know, if, if it's, if you if you use this process a hundred times, you're you're supposed to be right, you know, fifty one of the hundred times. And when you average everything out, you come out ahead of right. the game. That's sort of you know that's all. I think we've said it before. A lot of fantasy baseball is managing probabilities, and you know if as long you know the, and the probability is if you know over enough enough time using this, you will come out ahead. You know, some you know, same thing with playing cards. You you might you might bust on a particular hand, but if you go with the odds over time, well, you're you're never going to actually beat the house, but you have you come as close as you possibly can, uh, you know, to to beating the house based on probability. I think it's the same way here. If you use the right process over time, you'll you'll benefit. Maybe not, you know, on, on a one game, on a one pitcher, on a one streaming instance, you might get burned. But you're forgetting about the the two other times that you that you benefited. And of course, when we play fantasy baseball daily or season, uh, we're not playing against the house. We're playing against the other guys. And so the the likelihood of success increases if they are operating under paradigms that say he's had four hot hot games in a row. I should drop him, or I, I shouldn't use him because he's bound to have a bad game now. Whereas you know from the research that you're actually playing to a 50-plus percent bet, it's like getting into a coin-tossing contest. You know, I'll t- If I can get into a coin-tossing contest with anybody in the world where I get to 51% and he gets 49, I'll take those odds every day of the week. Right, right. And, and looking back at my notes a little bit, 
Um, what they, and now we're remembering this a little bit. What they did was they looked at the WOBAs of the pitchers and they looked at the number of standard deviations of the, of the WOBA different than what they expected. And, and I think in like above three standard deviation difference was considered to be a good start. So a guy like Felix Hernandez or Clayton Kershaw, Zach Greinke, uh, their, their WOBA is so high to begin with. Uh, to, to be able to get a fifth start that's that many standard deviations above their normal WOBA, I mean, it's gonna be, it's gonna have to be an, an exceptional start. So I'm not even sure how many of these studs are included in the actual study, cause I don't know how many times they can pitch that much better than their baseline. Right. Uh, but that, that, that's what they, they use was the number of deviation difference, deviation, standard deviation difference from the normal, uh, from the normal weighted on base average, which for those that don't know, weighted on base average is a souped up on base percentage where the different components of on base percentage get uh, a, a factor, a weighted factor, and it's a good representation of the possibility of run production. Uh, you know, on base average, just get on base. It's, you know, if you get on base with a double, you had a better chance to score, a better chance to knock a guy in, and set it with a triple, etc. So they've got certain uh, coefficients that they put in front of all the different components of your standard on base percentage, and it's a better representation of the likelihood of either producing a run by scoring or knocking a team it in. Uh, doesn't include speed, like, you know, if you're using it for fantasy purposes, it doesn't include stolen base factors, but to me, it's a pretty decent, um, estimation of, of, of a run in RBI potential, for instance. And I, I was going to say that when it, when it comes to pitchers, you mentioned that the elite pitchers have baselines that are so high that it's impractical or impossible to think of them exceeding it by far enough to be qualified as a hot start because pretty much every time they go out there, they have a terrific start. Uh, guys like Kershaw and Granke, as you mentioned, Felix Hernandez and so forth. Uh, so... It seems like, as you said, we're kind of looking in those middle guys that you, you might be making coin flip decisions on all the time. Those number three and number four starters, guys that you swap in and out of your lineup, maybe a you know $7,000 pitcher in DFS versus a $10,000 pitcher because you really have some desire to maximize your batting. So you're looking around for amongst those $6,700, 7800 $7,000 pitchers and choosing from among them can really be the area where these uh, hot streak considerations come into play. Yes and no, because depending upon the DFS site, they may be adjusting the price based upon the recent performance, in which case it's if you're looking, if you're doing the bang for the buck, process it's kind of already factored in so you're actually you're not paying you're actually paying for the fact that he's on a roll um so without knowing the actual algorithms of these particular sites i don't know for sure but you know the 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 pitcher's seasonal stats are going to be improved so just because of that uh the the price is going to be representative of their seasonal stats so you need to be a little bit careful just because if you're Depending upon what kind of DFS game you're playing, you know if you're playing a cash game, you might not care about the the uh, the price of the pitcher as much because you just want that really really good pitcher. But in a tournament, if you're looking more for value, it might matter. Which is why thinking more in the seasonal leagues is where it might come into a play a little bit more because you know there's there's no you know salary cap, there's no cost of using the player other than picking him up off of waivers. 
So it, it, I think it has a DFS application. Not so sure. I think it's more interesting with hitters in that streaks are not predictive and people in DFS will choose hitters based upon the fact that they're hot or people, you know, and I think we talk about this with seasonal, you know, you pick a guy up off the waiver wire cause he's hot and what you end up getting is, is when he starts to cool right. down and you never got the good stuff and you get the bad stuff and you probably dropped a guy that's just about to get hot with the point being in seasonal leagues, just stick with a better player because over time, the better player will put up better numbers and don't try to time time hot and cold hitting streaks. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Todd Zola. And Todd, at Fantasy Alarm, also you've just posted an article uh, comparing home run potential with fly ball distance, and this was interesting. Right, well, this is, uh, I'm kind of borrowing uh, the theory from our friend Mike Podhorser from, from Fangraphs. He he actually wrote this up for the First Pitch Forum uh tour back in the spring where he's been at the forefront of some research and uh you know it might seem intuitive but as we've learned over the years sometimes what seems intuitive or obvious isn't actually the case once you look into the numbers and the the study shows that the the, the there's a correlation between how far you hit a fly ball and the number of home runs you get i know everybody's saying duh <laughs> yeah. but a lot of times it you know it, it's sometimes there are other factors involved and and um, it's, it is kind of nice that it does back up intuition because, you know, fly ball distance is something that we can get. And what you do is you take a look at how at the fly ball distance and the number of home runs a batter has. And if they're out of sync, uh, you can you have to figure out, you know, is the fly ball distance a fluke or is the fact that the home runs don't match up to the fly ball distance the uh, the issue and you know how can a fly ball distance be a fluke? Well, it depends upon how many fly balls have been hit. If it's a if it's a guy that hits a lot of ground balls and he doesn't hit as many fly balls, if he happened to get a hold of one or two, that could skew the average mm-hmm. a little bit higher. Uh, if it also depends on the data and and I, I I admit my data has not been properly vetted for this piece and I talk about it in the piece where you're supposed to pull out pop up distance. And I didn't have the time to to vet my data to make sure that the data was strictly home runs and didn't have pop-ups mm-hmm. in there because obviously pop-ups will decrease if they're included the average distance. Um, but you know, as I explained too, is just to me this is just a, a vehicle to throw twenty names out there and talk about them as much as it was to do a sabermetric study as far as you know home run distance. I'm going to get the data, better data in the future and, and actually do the correlation studies and identify some names of people to look at for the second half of the season that are going to, in theory anyway, increase power or possibly decrease power. But there were some interesting names here just to uh, sort of, like I said, just as a way to, you know, give a chance to talk about 20 arbitrary names. And uh, they do seem arbitrary when you look at the list because they're all different kinds of players. There are players on the list that you would expect to have, you know, pretty good home a uh, home run performance, pretty good fly ball distance, like Chris Davis. And on the other hand, your cover uh, your cover shot for the article is Brandon Crawford, who's nobody's power hitter. Right now, the interesting part with Crawford too is his average home run distance is actually near the top of the list. So, you know, there are just some players that apparently, you know, when they see their pitch, they just turn on it and, you know, and crush it. And 
you know, is he, is he to the point yet where he can, you know, pick and choose? I'm not sure. But I think the, the point with Crawford, for me anyway, was, yeah, everybody's going to look at that 19.4 home run per fly ball and say that's going to regress because there's no way he can sustain it. Well, I'm going to say that, you know, you're probably, well, I'm not going to say it. I'm thinking it because I want to get him in a trade from you. I'm thinking to myself, you're probably right. However, where you think it's going to settle and where I think it's going to settle, I probably think it's going to settle a little higher. And I may be expecting another, you know, 16 homers from him. You may be expecting another 12. And I may only have to give you a player back, you know, commensurate with that 12 home run player. And I think I'm getting a 16 home run player back. So to me anyway, I think you can look at the, at the, at the fly ball number. And he's got a, a, a good number of plate appearances and a 31% fly ball rate isn't, isn't that bad. The average is 33%. Uh, so I, I can't, I don't know how much of a, is this a sample size thing or, you know, one or two crush balls skewed things? I don't think so. Um, plus I think you have to factor in ballparks and, and, you know, he's got a, a park that's San Francisco that's, you know, pretty hard to get the ball out of. So, uh, he is going to have to crush it <laughs> to get it over that left field fence. Although, you know, right field's a little bit worse. You mentioned uh, a few of these guys that are on your list are unusual in their mix, and this has something to do with the fact that we're still relatively early in the season, so the number of hit balls is relatively small, the relative number of fly balls even smaller. But you have a couple of guys on here like Christian Yelich, who's uh, hitting very few uh, fly balls, but when he hits them, they seem to go a long way. And uh, what are the cautions that surround that particular mix of a player who's not hitting enough fly balls to really be confident of the result? See, actually, people are looking at those numbers in a vacuum, and I've actually heard people talk about it. And, you know, can you believe this? Well, his, he, he was like that last year. So what they didn't realize is, you know, this is, it's a little bit more extreme this year, but he had just a sick home run per fly ball rate, but he just never hit any fly balls. And he's pretty much doing the same thing this year and he's injured. So I've heard a few people suggest maybe it's the injury. And once he's healthy again, you can expect, you know, things to flip and, and get the power out of Yelich. And I don't think so. I mean, I don't, I think he's still a very, very solid fantasy ball player, but I'm not expecting the power from him I want him you know I want him to get on base and run so uh, I think that people see the home run the first thing they see is the home run for fly ball and in their head they think more homers are coming and they don't realize that you have to you know it's per fly ball they don't look at that fly ball part and players have a certain profile as far as ground balls line drives and fly ball something we've talked about on and off the air, and we're at the uh, getting very close to the point of the season where a, a player's hit distribution is probably going to be fairly representative. Hit distribution being, you know, grounders, fly balls, and line drives. What he's going to get for the rest of the year. So, you know, the the fact that Yelich is even heading fewer ground balls, uh, f- sorry, fewer fly balls than last year, he's not going to suddenly flip and suddenly, you know, start to loft the ball. You know, he not, he's not going to be able to take advantage of that above average home run for fly ball. So you're just going to get the occasional, you know, mistake hitting, you know, home run as opposed to a guy who's got some power upside based upon a huge home run per fly ball. Yeah, Yelich uh, this year, 75% ground balls, only 14% fly balls. So uh, it's a very small number of fly balls that we're looking at in the first place. And maybe when when you're 
considering these data and when you're considering these narratives as a fantasy baseball player, you need to look at how many samples there are. And if it's as few as as this, you need to take it with a grain of salt. However, there are other players on your list who do have a career track of being fly ball hitters. They are continuing that this year and that therefore you can be maybe a little more confident in what the data are saying for good or for ill. Right. And again, with Yelich, he's got the issue too of he was hurt for a while. So not only was that a factor, it's reduced the number of, of plate appearances. So uh, you know, his distance could also be high because he's just hit, you know, so few fly balls. And that one that he did cork just happened to be early in the year. And, you know, his average might be coming down, you know, over the course of the year uh, as, as the regular fly balls just settle in. And looking at a guy like Starling Marte of the Pirates, he's got eight home runs this year, despite only a 20% fly ball rate. That's a home run per fly ball percentage of 38. And, and you described that in the article as just stupid lucky. But the question is, how do you respond to just stupid lucky when you're a fantasy player looking at Starling Marte? Right. I mean, I, I, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it, of, co- of course it's going to come down. You know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take a, a PhD in sabermetrics to know that he's not going to sustain that because nobody ever has. But we don't know where, you know, we don't know where it's going to come down to. Um, Marte is another one of those guys that the narrative is that he's changed his approach, being moved down to fourth and fifth in the order. The, the team wants him to hit for more power, that sort of thing. Uh, I guess it's just, again, because we're not quite at the point where everything's stabilized, it's still your guess versus my guess as to where it settles and with the number of home runs. And I'm still looking at the ground ball, line drive, fly ball, and that he's just not hitting a lot of fly balls. And sure, when he, when he hits one, he nuts it, but I don't think he's going to hit as many home runs as someone else might think, you know, looking at that 38.1% when it comes down because he's not hitting fly balls. Even from the fifth spot in the order, uh, you know, the team wants him, you know, to drive the ball, to hit the ball, you know, to, to knock in runs and not necessarily be the table setter at the top. They're leaving Gregory Polanco to do that at this point. Uh, I, I, wasn't as, I wasn't as high on Marte coming into the season as some people were just because of that ground ball tilt. I didn't think he was going to be able to produce the power. He was a guy that, you know, the second half of last year uh, had a little bit of a power spike, and I think people thought it could carry over. I I wasn't buying into Marte, and, you know, I'm not going to say I'm right because we're not that far into the season, and heck, eight homers is a lot, and people are going to think that they're right, but I, I would not take that eight, and we're at the, uh, the quarter point of the season. I'm not going to say quarter pole, because uh, that's, that's wrong, right, yeah. the quarter point of this season, multiply, I'm not expecting 32 home runs out of Starling Marte, but, um, you know, if someone is and I have him, here, you can have him, just, you know, give me something good, although, like I said, I don't have him because I wasn't into him at the beginning of the year. So when you look at Starling Marte and you say, okay, 38.1 isn't a re- reasonable rate, it's got to change back, but for a while, we used to think that hitters' hit rates always regress to 30% because pitchers' hit rate or batting average on balls and play regressed to, to that figure. And it turned out when we looked at it that good hitters have higher hit rates and bad hitters have lower hit rates. Right. Is the same thing true of home run per fly ball rate? Oh, absolutely. The, um, the pitchers always will regress to, at this point, I believe it's around 11%. The league average is around 11% home run per fly ball. And something we should note at this point, too, is uh, there's still different classifications of a fly ball out there. So if someone's going to their own 
stat source and they see the numbers might be different than we're talking about or different in the article, it's just be, it's more than likely because of line drive and fly ball were classified differently. And, you know, we've talked about too, and I think you've talked about with our buddy Corey Schwartz, over time this is going to become less of an issue as more of this is done electronically. But it's still to this point, there's still some uh, subjectivity, whether a ball is a line drive or, or, or a fly ball, and it, it can skew the actual numbers. Now, you know, Marte, sure, he's going to, the 38 is going to come down. The question is to what? For his career, he's a little above average. His uh, average uh, home run per fly ball, 18%, then 12, and then 13. So it's a, it's above average, and that's not park corrected. And PNC's pretty good park, pretty hard park to hit a home run in. So he's got above average power. So I do expect when it does settle from 38 to settle into something, you know, in the high teens. Uh, I just, once it does do that though, I'm still tempering expectations because his, uh, he's actually hitting more ground balls this year than he's hit. Last year was 51%. I'm sorry, last year was 47. The year before was 51. And, uh, he's up to 54% this year. Uh, so I just, I just don't see sustaining this pace of power. And I, no one does with the 38%, but I'm, I think when he does come down to earth, it's probably going to be lower than someone else who is more more pro Starling Marte than I am. So when when we talk about Starling Marte at twenty percent fly ball rate, and if we expect his uh, home run per fly ball rate to settle in at say fifteen percent, then we're talking about home runs in roughly three percent of his remaining plate appearances. Right, like fifteen percent of twenty percent. Right, and then it would have, it, so we're probably looking at. Uh, for, he's, he's hitting fourth or fifth in the order. I don't know if he gets hurt or not, but if he gets 400, 450 plate appearances, that's, you know, 12 to 14 homers, which right, right now he's in a, uh, he's, he's pacing for 24 more homers. So, you know, I'm, I'm expecting 12 to 14. Maybe you expect not so much you, but someone might expect 18, figuring he's going to fall down from 24. You know, I, I, I'm looking, you know, I'm not going to, I don't want him in a trade because you're going to expect back a, you know, equivalent of 18 home runs and I'm only willing to give you the equivalent of 12 or 14. So, right. you know, Marte is is not on my unfortunately, not unfortunately, but he's just he's not on my target list to, you know, if I'm looking to improve my teams for the second half. And of course, at the same time, we'd also want to review Starling Marte's historical trajectory mix. It could be that the 20% fly ball rate this year is unusually low. And so there might be some balancing out to do, right? Between, well, we expect his home run per fly ball rate to decline down to 15 or 20%, but he's going to offset some of that by returning his fly ball percentage as a trajectory percentage from the low 20, which it is now, up to some more normal career standard around, you know, 30 or 35 whatever his career norm is right and the other factor and this comes into play you know with a guy like chris davis is the other whole factor about it is contact rate now his contact rate is just a tiny bit higher than his career rate he's usually around 24 25 he's a tad above 26 so i'm going to call that a wash but yeah that's yet yeah, when, when we're looking at these things can we can you know talk about chris davis his underlying numbers are pretty much what you expect as far as home run distance and home run per fly ball and all that sort of thing. But he's striking out even more than his already prolific rate. So if someone, you know, if all someone does is, is in a vacuum, look at his 
the home run metric numbers and, and okay, well, I'm going to get Davis because I expect him to, to pick up the pace as far as home run goes. Look at those underlying numbers, a 26% fly home run per fly ball and, and, you know, 41% fly ball rate, which is well above average. Um, you know, eight homers again, portends to what 32. I think he's going to hit 36 or 37. Well, I don't think he's gonna because he's striking out too much. And, uh, I don't, so I think what you see is what you get. I don't think he's going to get better because of the, 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 the underlying peripherals for the home run numbers. I think it's pretty much going to stay that way. And, you know, it might even get worse because the strikeouts might get worse. And just for the record, his uh, ground ball to fly ball rate for his career is right just over one. So we'd expect his fly balls and ground balls to roughly even out. I mean, there's been some variation there, but uh, right now uh, his. Numbers are out of whack uh, a little bit in both regards. He's hitting too few fly balls and too many home runs for those fly balls. So when you're considering it, you need to look at the entire picture and not just pick out, oh, the home run per fly ball rate is going to decline without also giving him credit for adjusting what is currently a 54-20 ground ball to fly ball rate down to something that's more like 30 to 25 or something in that vicinity. Right. Now, we're talking in general... We're both talking a little bit more speculative and narrative than I think both of us would like, but sometimes that's all you can do. With certain stats, you sort of just have to, I don't want to say leap of faith, but you have to make a little bit more of a subjective uh, opinion nowadays just because that's the way the rules are set up. Rules of leagues are set up that you have so much freedom of movement and, and freedom to act, acquire players. You know, you just don't. If the guy's just not in your lineup and you just sit on him because you got no choice, you sort of have to use, you know, mix the numbers with your feel and your scouting and your, and what your gut says. And that, you know, that's kind of what this conversation is about more than some of our more, you know, strict, this is what the numbers say, therefore do this sort of things. I don't know that it's as much of a gut thing, though. It, it seems like a reasonable step to take. To as we started talking about to say, look, Marte's thirty-eight percent rate is going to come down. This is not a this is not an if thing. He's not going to continue to to have a th- near forty percent home run per fly ball rate. But at the same time, we look at a twenty percent fly ball rate overall. It seems reasonable to also say, but we should expect some more fly balls than he's currently hitting absent any evidence to suggest otherwise, it doesn't seem that unreasonable or that speculative to me to say I'm going to expect the the home run to fly ball ratio to drop, but at the same time, there is going to be some offsetting increase in the total number of fly balls that he's hitting just based on his history. Right. I think I may have, I don't see misspoke, but um, right. I think you like to use the term error bars. I think if, if we're trying to figure out what weird performance might lie, the error bar is a lot higher in this particular conversation. And so I think, you know, we're, we're using logic and we're using what the numbers say, but the, the, the plausible outcomes, the error, you know, are, are much, there's a, there's a bigger variance this time. So oh, you yeah. know, where, where within that variance does it, does it work? I, I guess, you know, just, you know, you can always shoot for that midpoint, but there's going to be some people that subjectively, want to go, you know, tilt it one way or another because of a bias or, or whatever. But I think that's probably a better way of saying it is we're, we're still applying whatever the numbers tell us, but what they're telling us has got, has got a greater range of outcomes for this particular discussion than it might have in some other discussions.
I, I think that's well said. And, and at some point, I, I veer towards your original or earlier analysis, which is at some point I'm going to say, all right, the, the potential list of outcomes here is somewhere probably between 10 more home runs the rest of the year and 20 more home runs the rest of the year. It's somewhere in there, roughly speaking, and now I have to be, either I have to dig more into it in first half, second half, home and road, uh, you know, take a look forward and see where he's going to be playing. I have to factor in injury possibility. He's he's had a few injuries in the past that have cost him some time. At a certain point, it becomes... Uh, uh, an exercise in chasing your own tail to try to put a firm number on this, you do have to kind of say, uh, depending on your situation with your team, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a trade offer to try to acquire Starling Marte uh, on the hope that somebody will give him to me, or I'm going to trade him away because I don't think he can maintain or whatever it turns out to be. Right now, you know, what we've talked about too in the past is, you know, fantasy baseball is all about probabilities and and success is managing the probabilities and over the long haul if you if you're able if you're properly able to figure out the probability and act accordingly you know you might be wrong air quotes on a uh, on a particular instance but if you're right more than you're wrong you end up with a net plus and uh that's sort of you know what you have to think about here is you know going through each individual instance a lot of these st- stability statistics as far as when a stat is real it's a, it's a 50-50 shot either way and you're not always going to it's not always going to be better or always going to be worse but more often than not and even if that's just 51 to 49% you gain an edge and you know we're we're talking about the you know the fringe players where you're looking to get an edge we're not talking about the stars so you know that that's where championships are won and lost is on the fringes and, you know, that's, so that's sort of, you know, it's, like I said, it's not always, you're not always going to be right. It, it's over the greater good you hope to get, you know, and I think the key to it all, and, you know, sometimes we overlook it, is properly figuring out what the percentage is. I think if you're, you know, if you're basing, you're just, a lot of times we're basing our decisions on, you know, what we think is the right probability, and it's not. I think that's probably my, you know, my, the number one thing I look at is constantly, trying to evaluate what the proper probability is and more often than not I didn't do the wrong thing I I had the probability part wrong and as more data comes out or etc I refine the actual probability just before we leave this topic uh, one of the names on your list offered with no comment Alex Rodriguez is having a pretty good year with the uh, home run bat he's got 10 so far and uh, a lot of the underlying metrics seem to line up pretty well to support a 10 home run performance to date right now actually there there was writing but uh, i had a I did a very late and i and i i actually what i did was now to look at it i i saved a draft version i didn't publish my real version so i have to go back and and fix it up once we hang up which won't be too much of an issue but if i recall the uh with 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 that i just almost said pudge uh, pudge rodriguez alex rodriguez the um the numbers do match up. What it's the home runs are supported by a twenty-four percent home run per fly ball. Now the question becomes: Can he keep a home a twenty-four percent home run per fly ball? Now that was what he had back in the salad days. That's what he had, you know, pre all the goofiness and you know in Seattle and early in early Texas days. It's been reduced, obviously, the past several years. Whether that's because of injury or just inconsistent playing time, who knows? Now you know he has had that rate before. I don't think that I think there's going to be some give back. I don't know that it's going to come all the way down to the to, to the low teens. 
that he's had uh, the past couple of years, injury-riddled years. But the other question, too, is, you know, can is he going to stay healthy? Uh, you know, we, we were through a quarter of the season, and he's, he's looked really, really good. Uh, you know, are we are we going to give him another 450, 460 plate appearances over the rest of the year, or is he going to have an injury at some point? And I think you have to kind of assume at some point he's going to get hurt. But yeah, I mean, if you're looking for power, he's a you know he's going to continue to hit home runs. I don't think it's going to prorate to 40. I think they're going to you know be in the 30s, and I don't think you know doesn't take a genius to to say that the 24 percent is going to come down, but. They said the the fly ball distance supports a continued, you know, pretty good home run rate. I was looking at uh, uh, Alex Rodriguez's uh, home run per fly ball rates. You mentioned that uh, where he's at currently is a, a little higher than than we would expect. Uh, according to BaseballReference.com, he was at 23.1% in his age 31 year back in 2007 playing for the Yankees. And since that time, it has been declining Every single year, 17-8, 16-8, 14-9, 12-2, 2 little bounce back last year to 11-5. All of a sudden this year, uh, back up to almost 19%. And when you see big corrections like that, I don't know, of course, with Alex Rodriguez's past history, there's certainly going to be some raised eyebrows, but uh, it does seem like he can't sustain a, a home run per fly ball rebound of this extent. Right. Now you factor in, you know, he, he was hurt for those years, and there were some circumstances where he had, may have had a miss some games and came back rusty or, or, or in the whatnot. Uh, and the other thing, the other factor too, is the park factor in general. And I mean, I'm looking back at his pre pre New York days. Uh, New York, we all think about how great a launching pad it is for left-handed power. Well, the numbers show that Yankee Stadium is just as good, almost just as good as a as a home run for uh, right-handed power too. And as you know, the, uh, when A Rod's on, he can go the other way as well. So the park might help keep his home run for a fly ball up a little bit. So, you know, which is why I don't know that it's going to come down to the average of the past three years. I think it can settle. And what, when we say come down to going forward, it's going to be, you know, 17, 18%. So when you average in the, the 24 that always been, he's going to end the season at 19 or 20. But we're, you know, going forward, you know, I'm expecting anyway, something in the high teens, which instead of having, you know, 10 home runs every, quarter of the season maybe he gets seven or eight so maybe we're looking at another you know 24 to 30 and not the uh, 32 that it looks like it's going to be now and for anybody who's following along at home we should point out that the baseball reference home run per fly ball calculation is made while excluding infield pop-ups and so he's got about eight uh, percent of that this year which is well down actually he's hitting way fewer pop-ups than he has in the last seven or eight years, so that may be skewing the numbers a little bit as well. Right, and uh, I, you know, the I think the next next level analysis and all this is going to be, and and one day, you know, you probably talk about it with Corey before you talk about it with me. But we're going to be talking about his 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 bat speed and the angle of the ball coming off the bat, and that's what we're going to be using as the uh, as our as our as our litmus test. You, you know, so we're going to be saying that the. Uh, you know, his, his bat speed's improved by X amount, which is why he can catch up to fastballs and, and drive the ball more. We're at that, that's where we're headed, folks.
And uh, there are those who think it's not so good. Uh, There are those like me who think it's terrific because it helps explain what's going on out there. And to me, that's the real fun of it. Before I let you go, Todd, I haven't asked you for weeks. uh, How is your NFBC teams doing? Uh, Well, let's see here. My my main event team is actually doing very well. Um, Other than that, it's... It's, it's been a terrible year. I, I, my, I'm in the AL and NL auctions and I'm, if I'm not in last place right now in both, I'm in second to last. And these are leagues that I've won in the past and I just, and, and felt great coming out of. I just, I don't know what's going on and, uh, have a, a couple other teams that are doing well, but it's so right now it's a mixed bag, but, um, in general, not doing nearly as well as I had hoped to be at this point. Even my Tut Wars team, you know, we can talk about that next week is, uh, is scuffling along. It's, uh, honestly not happy right now with, with the way things are going. You got some work to do. You said you, you're hard pressed to explain what went on, but with those two, uh, auction teams, uh, you must have some idea. Did, did has injuries been a problem? Uh, is it just rank underperformance? What's going on? I think in general, and I starting to look into this is, there's a certain set of pitchers that I was high on, and I don't know that so much that I was wrong. I think I may have been too – I think there's some pitchers that just because you're high on them doesn't mean you can't put in the wait-and-see category. And I think I may have, you know, TJ House and, 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 and Zach McAllister and players of that ilk, I think I might have been better served waiting to see if I was right than assuming that I was right. Uh, now, of course, if I was right, I'd be telling you how great my teams are. So I'm not right. completely convinced. This is, I may have just been happy wrong on a couple pitchers. What it seems to be is my teams, the, the, some of the, the pitchers that I was high on aren't producing as, as I expected. Now, in a mixed league is more where I'm talking about you can do this than a, in an AL only league, you're pretty much, you know, I don't want to say stuck with, but, you know, if you want to, if you wanted to invest what it took to get Drew Hutchinson in your AL only, you're not going to put him on the bench. Um, you know, a guy like Shane Green has, you know, shown good and bad, but I think that's part of what I need to look at is do I need to have been more, I don't want to say patient, but more Missouri pro show me with some of the pitchers that I was high on. And I think that's what's bringing the teams down at this point is the, uh, the pitching in, uh, what you need to do then is, you know, put your resources to getting better pitching, which takes away your resources to be able to get that hitter to make a difference. And it's, you know, it is kind of a domino effect. But at least, you know, at, at, at this quarter point of the season, that's what I'm sort of beginning to wonder about is, did I, you know, was I, did I just not pick, you know, did not I analyze pitching properly or was I too aggressive in trusting that I analyzed it properly? The age-old question, uh, is it the case that the operation was botched or was the operation a success and the patient died anyway? Yeah, 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 something to that effect. Hopefully hopefully, it's like Princess Bride. Hopefully we're not completely dead, which means we're a little bit alive. Right. And maybe Miracle Max can help save my teams. All right, Todd, thanks very much for joining us again this week. We'll talk to you again next Friday. Looking forward to it. Todd Zola writes for BaseballHQ.com, for Ron Chandler's, ChandlerPark.com, for ESPN, 
Fantasy Alarm, Master's Ball, and as I say every week, wherever Todd Zola is writing, you ought to be reading. Coming up next, our commentaries, uh, pitcher matchup reports, and master notes next on Baseball HQ Radio. I gambled on, on other sports other than baseball. I never gambled on baseball, but uh, I think I'm uh, being punished pretty severely. Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Now it's time for our regular Friday commentaries. Coming up, I'll have master notes, but right now it's our pitcher matchup report. BaseballHQ.com has developed algorithms to determine the strength or weakness of every starting pitcher matchup based on his opponent, his opposing pitcher, the park, and other factors. Pitchers score from minus 5 to plus 5. We recommend pitchers with a matchup rating of plus 2 and higher, while we suggest you avoid pitchers with matchup ratings below 0. Everybody in between? Well, that's a cost-benefit play you'll have to determine for yourself. Here with some of the weekend's matchups, looking at Matt Harvey visiting Cole Hamels, Carlos Frias at James Shields, and more, it's BaseballHQ.com pitcher matchups analyst Greg Fishwick. If the weather in Denver and on the south side of Chicago cooperates as predicted, after this Memorial Day holiday weekend, every team will have played more than 40 games. So we are now six weeks and one-fourth of the way into the 2015 season. Last year at this time, I reported on my own performance. If I recommended a pitcher and he scored a PQS 3 or above, I counted that as a success. If I warned against a pitcher and he scored a PQS 3 or above, I counted that as a failure. BaseballHQ.com founder Ron Chandler has shown that the best success rate analysts can consistently generate is between 60 and 70%. At this point in 2014, I had a success rate of 66%. In 2015, I have a success rate of 63%. I haven't analyzed my BPIs, but I suspect I'm on the soft, slow slope of age-related decline. I'll try again this week with a look at some pairings that stood out to me. In the American League on Saturday, two Mr. Wrights are on the wrong side of zero for their matchup ratings. They have two of the four worst matchup ratings this weekend. Right-hander Mike Wright of the Baltimore Orioles goes into Miami for an interleague match with the Marlins on the heels of his PQS 5 debut, with a matchup rating of minus 129. He's facing Dan Heron, who has a matchup rating of 213. What's wrong with Wright is simply too small of a sample size. The 25-year-old was pretty good in 31 AAA innings, and BaseballHQ.com minor league analyst Chris Maloney wrote in our daily call-ups column that, quote, Wright has all the makings of a strong mid-rotation workhorse at maturity, unquote. But research shows a rookie pitcher's best start is often his first start, so it's just too early to tell for Mike Wright. Right-hander Stephen Wright of the Boston Red Sox is at home after his PQS4 season debut, and he gets a slightly worse matchup rating of minus 147 against visiting Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim left-hander C.J. Wilson and his matchup rating of 2-0. That third Major League start marked Wright's 50th inning pitched, ending his rookie status. His sample is large enough to warrant our warning. He has an expected ERA of nearly 4 and a whip of 1-4. Baltimore is under 500, and against teams under 500, the Angels are 18-9. and So Stephen Wright is really the wrong choice in this run. The two best matchup ratings of the weekend are in the National League on Saturday. Matt Harvey of the New York Mets takes the top matchup rating of the weekend into Pittsburgh's PNC Park 
with a 344. Over his eight starts in 2015, Harvey has five PQS5s and three PQS4s. He struck out 56 batters in 55 innings. His whip is under one, his ERA is under two, and his expected ERA is under three. Harvey faces the Pirates' rejuvenated A.J. Burnett, who has a matchup rating of 195. Pittsburgh is under 500, and against teams under 500, the Mets are 18 and 6. The Mets are over 500, and against teams that are over 500, Pittsburgh is 7 and 14. The second highest matchup rating of the weekend belongs to the Phillies' Cole Hamels at 258. Philly is hot, winning seven of its past 10 games, and the only team that's hotter is the hosting Washington Nationals at 8-2, and, and they had the same record over their previous 10 games. They send out the struggling Steven Strasburg with his matchup rating of 075, but Strasburg's woes are hit percent and strand percent related, as he's laboring under a 41% hit rate and a 63% strand rate. Philadelphia is under 500, and versus teams under 500, Washington is 17-12. and 12. The Nats are over 500, and versus teams over 500, the Phils are 5 and 12. But Strasburg hasn't lasted more than six innings in five starts since April 19, and he has two PQS zeros in his past three outings. Hamels has earned the edge by posting four PQS fives and a PQS four in his past five starts. But this is still a matchup that might go either way, so let's take the risk on Strasburg and recommend him as well as Hamels. If you think it was a surprise to see Hamels with a matchup rating nearly two points higher than Strasburg's, wait till you see the two big surprises in the National League on Sunday. Think back to your draft and imagine you're constructing your roster. Who would you choose between Carlos Frias and James Shields? How about between Aaron Harang and Gio Gonzalez? Well, you guessed it. In those matchups, it's Frias and Harang who rule the day. Frias has four starts for the L.A. Dodgers this year and six in his career. Besides benefiting from a strand rate of 80%, everything looks legit for the finger-thin, flame-throwing Frias in this home start. He has a matchup rating of 223. But Shields has been even better for the San Diego Padres, with eight PQS Dom starts in nine outings. Yet his matchup rating is only 176. The trouble is the Dodgers feast on teams under 500 like the Padres, posting the best record in Major League Baseball against them at 22 and 9. Meanwhile, versus teams over 500 like LA, San Diego is 10 and 15. What about Harang and Gonzalez? Is Harang's fast start a barrage like last year, or is he using a different pitch mix to greater effect? He does have seven PQS Doms and two PQS three starts in nine outings but he's the beneficiary of a hit rate of 26% and a strand rate of 82%. And his ERA is a full two runs lower than his expected ERA. He has a fly ball rate of 45% and a home run per fly ball rate of only 3%. Plus, he's suffering from the same Phillies at Nationals mismatch I described earlier. I can't trust either him or his opponent, Gio Gonzalez, whose matchup rating of minus 1-0 comes with good reasons. He's allowed 11 earned runs over 10 innings in his past two PQS disaster starts, with a whip of nearly two. He was rolling along with two PQS 5s prior to those outings, but he had three PQS 3s in his first four starts of the season, 
going 23 innings and giving up 13 earned runs on 29 hits and 11 walks. Again, a whip nearly two. He's been too erratic to trust either. So enjoy your holiday this weekend and go with Matt Harvey, Cole Hamels, Steven Strasburg, and Carlos Frias, and stay away from Mike Wright, Stephen Wright, Aaron Harang, and Gio Gonzalez. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Greg Fishwick of BaseballHQ.com. Greg Fishwick is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com and here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now it's time for Master Notes, a weekly commentary on baseball and fantasy baseball. I'm up in the rotation this week, and I want to talk about Get Me Off That Closer Go Round. Can anybody find a way to get me off the closer go round? Please? When I was a kid, I always hated the merry-go-round at the carnival. The horses always looked to me like they rode straight out of the netherworld. I don't mean Holland, but the place we used to call H.E. Double Hockey Sticks when I was in Catholic school. The calliope music drove me crazy, and the ride itself was simultaneously boring, we're going around in circles, what's the big deal, and nauseating with the up-and-down motion of Satan's nags. I haven't been on a merry-go-round for years, but since I started playing fantasy baseball, I've been nauseated by repeatedly riding the closer-go-round, that horrible experience of chasing closers around and around in circles, only to have them lose their jobs to other guys who lose their jobs to other guys, and around and around we go. After years in an American League-only league, I started in the Tout Wars mixed auction in 2012. My strategy was to punt. Not to punt saves as a category, but to punt closers. My home league experience had convinced me that I could cobble together enough saves by jumping on and off the free agent closer go-round, focusing on being a week early to grab the hotly rumored, the rumors are always hot, closer to be for a fab bid of a dollar or even zero dollars in tout. For some reason, I immediately befouled my own strategy. Just before the auction, I checked online, and I saw a hot rumor that the Reds would be giving the closer job to left-hander Sean Marshall. I thought I might get him for a buck. But apparently I wasn't the only one in on this hot rumor. I got Sean Marshall all right, but I paid 12 bucks, or about 11 bucks too much. Marshall picked up only nine saves that year and was pretty much off the closer go-round by June. He was replaced by another lefty, a guy by the name of Chapman. Maybe you've heard of him and his fancy-dancy 100-mile-an-hour fastball. A year or so later, Chapman was the established closer right up until shortly before opening day when he got hit in the face by a line drive and missed six weeks of the season. That same year, though, I got 37 saves by snabbing both Ernesto Frieri and Addison Reed from the closer go-round just before they got their closer gigs. By the end of the year, I had 66 saves in all and 7 points in the category with no investment. Success! The next season, I had more discipline, and at the auction, I avoided the established closers entirely. During the season, I landed Mark Melanson and Joaquin Benoit in the closer go-round and finished with 47 saves. Not too shabby for an auction investment of nothing. Unfortunately, 47 saves that year was a last-place finish in the category. You could say the operation was a success, except the patient died. Last season, I resolved to try a new horse on the closer go-round, or rather three horses. I decided I would buy three solid established closers for a total of $36 or less. Again, I succeeded. I got the previous season's MLB saves leader and two other established closers for $33. Oh, and they delivered all right. 
a grand total of 22 saves among the three of them. The previous season leader was Jim Johnson, whose explosion that year was the stuff of legend. It left a bigger crater than the meteorite impact site in Sudbury, Ontario. He got me two saves. The other two closers? Well, I'm glad you asked. Casey Jansen of the Blue Jays celebrated joining my team by getting a sore back just after opening day and missing two months. Bobby Parnell of the Mets did him one better. He blew his opening day save opportunity and then immediately had Tommy John surgery and was lost for the year. I rode the closer go-round that season so much that I was on a first-name basis with the horses and my name was on a plaque on one of those little benches. I got five saves apiece from Sergio Santos and Matt Lindstrom before they lost their roles. And weirdly, while 47 saves got me just one point the previous year, just 32 saves got me four points in this year. My strategy this year was to go back to punting, this time the category and not just the closers. So please don't ask me why I jumped in on Sean Doolittle, paying the same 12 bucks I paid for Sean Marshall at my first tout draft. Hey, sudden thought. Could it be something about the name Sean? Anyway, I'm not sure what to think anymore. I do know there's no such thing as a sure thing in the closer role. This year, my tout competitors invested more than $20 apiece in sure things like Aroldis Chapman and Greg Holland, who have just seven saves apiece, the same number as Wade Davis, who cost $2. Other owners have 13 saves apiece from Andrew Miller and Joaquim Soria, who likewise cost just $2 each. And already this year, the closer go-round is spinning like the one at the end of Strangers on a Train. In just the first quarter of the year, in Miami, Steve Sishek was awful. In Tampa, Jake McGee got hurt. In Atlanta, Craig Kimbrell was traded. In San Diego, Joaquin Benoit was replaced by Kimbrell. In Colorado, Latroy Hawkins was awful. Also in Colorado, Adam Ottavino took Hawkins' job, then he had Tommy John surgery and is gone for the year. In L.A., Kenley Jansen got hurt. In Texas, Naftali Feliz was awful. In Arizona, Addison Reed was awful. In Detroit, Joe Nathan was awful, not for very long, then he got hurt and will be out for the rest of the year. In New York, Dellen Betances was too valuable as an eighth inning pitcher to keep the closer role. And in Toronto, Brett Cecil was awful. He got replaced by Miguel Castro. Then Castro was awful and they gave the job back to Cecil. And so it goes. The long and the short of it is that there's no sensible way to play the closer go-round. So for the love of Pete, will somebody stop it? I want to get the HE double hockey sticks off. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt of BaseballHQ.com. You can get Master Notes delivered to your email inbox every Friday in the weekly free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, we also have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, May the 22nd. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 28 of the 2015 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our regular guest for the Friday edition of the show, Todd Zola, and it's always great to talk with Todd. I also want to thank our other contributors from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch commentators were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson, and our pitcher matchups analyst was Greg Fishwick. I'm Patrick Davitt. I have a facts and flukes spotlight on Los Angeles Angels outfielder Cole Calhoun coming out this weekend. And meanwhile, I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. 
You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed, at Patrick Davitt, and be the first to know when a new show is ready for download. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8-star rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Tuesday when our expert guest will be fantasy baseball writer Jason Collette. That's the next edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.